Shoshana's making an American star out of a wolf pack called Ernesto, and we're receiving wicked little letters out of darkness. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Offscreen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Hello and welcome back to Off Screen for another week of delightful movies to cover with Van Connor. Um, we'll see what he thought to uh, American Star and Out of Darkness, which is coming up soon. But we're going to start with Shoshana. Um, now, all I know about this is it's uh, is it a British police movie? It is sort of you sort of half a bit of that. So this is set in the 1940s when the British were in charge of Palestine. So this is before the formation of Israel, which I think is 1948. You know, before all the, all the agreements are signed. Before, I think the, Treaty, the Treaty of Versailles gave the British control of Palestine. My history on the region, despite my heritage, is somewhat hazy. You know, funnily enough. <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, so uh, th- this basically involves a uh, British police officer in Tel Aviv, played by Thank Douglas God. Booth, um, having to track down uh, the, the culprits behind a series of terrorist attacks. Uh, this is directed by Michael Winter, Michael Winterbottom, I said Michael Winterbourne, and um, the crux of this all is that the person having ties to the attacks also happens to be the woman with whom Douglas Booth's character is in love with, who's played by, and I want to make sure I get her, her surname right, Irina Starschenbaum, and it comes down to her being placed in between her lover Douglas Booth, who is, finds himself, you know, coming up against the limits of what his job can and can't let her get away with, and his counterpart, a much more sinister British operative, played by Henry Melling, Harry Melling, Henry uh, Harry Melling, sorry, not Henry Melling, Harry Melling uh, from the Harry Potter series. So he's the one. I think he's, he played. Uh, uh, who's the loser kid? Longbottom. Oh Neville, yes. Is he or is he the cousin? Is it Neville? No, I don't think it is Neville. No, I don't I think he played him. Who would he play in Harry Potter? Dudley. It's Dudley. That's Harry it. Potter. Yeah, Harry Melling is Dudley. Sorry, beside the point, um, I'm making this sound a lot more exciting in, in tone than it is. But have a listen. I promise this is actually more representative of the sort of pace and general tone of this film. I'm sorry about Chip. He was a good man. Yes. I've been asked to talk to you about Jesha Bruno. He has children, a wife. He's still being held. They're threatening him with years imprisonment. What? For being in the Haganah? For wanting to build Israel? We all want to build Israel. I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. Right. I'm sorry to have bothered you. I've been thinking about what you said. What you did. You were wrong. We can be together. I'd do the same thing again if I had to. Isn't the timing of this just uncanny? Uh Because obviously Uh this wasn't started after Uh everything happened in Israel, was it? So, Uh you know... I mean, it, it's fortuitous timing, really, in a sense, in, in almost the worst topical way, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but actually, it does have something of a grand point to make in that regard. Without getting too into the, the politics of current events, it is worth pointing out that one of, the, uh, one of the sort of underlying messages of the film is that activities and activities used in the name of Israel in this movie are effectively in response to the, the British administration overseeing them and that certain habits are learned from certain places without going too much in it, if you know what I mean. Like, that they're making a 
very specific point there. Um, this is, as I say, uh, directed by Michael Winterbottom, who'd done Jennifer before this, The Killer Inside Me. Uh, is it Nine Songs? I think Nine Songs was the, the famous controversial one uh, from the 2000s where there was a debate about whether or not they had actually simulated the sex or if it was just porn with the soundtrack, which I kind of lean to the latter, with a great soundtrack, admittedly. Um, I quite like the performances in this, and I like the film in general, but I think it's a film that works at the expense of character. Now, the performances are very good in a procedural way, but if you're looking for character, you're not really going to get it there. It's kind of like, uh, this was the shock when, when we all saw the Miami Vice movie, the, the 2006 Michael Mann Miami Vice movie for the first time. And you were thinking, oh, this is going to be like the TV show. It's going to have that characterization, that, you know, that, that lantern George charm. And it was a very hard-boiled police procedural. You kind of feel like, feel that here. And it's almost, it's almost like it's being done in service of the message it's putting across. Like you, there's, it's a very well-made film. For instance, there's a lot of great cinematography of like you know a character walking down a quiet street, for instance. But it gets kind of numbing as well to the point where every time you get that, you're then waiting for a literal bomb to go off, rather than any kind of character bomb to go off. Which you heard the drama in that clip. It wasn't exactly yeah. spicy, was it? It wasn't powerful, and it's quite dulcet. It's quite sad. I mean, I, I was going to come off the back of that clip and say mm. to you that it felt like it was a really slow-moving kind of movie, actually. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is. It's not uninteresting or uninvolving, and you do go along with that story because it's a very interesting procedural, but it's not engaging on a character, on a sort of character-driven level. Your, your characters yeah. feel like they've been shortchanged for the sake of this plot, which, as I say, I mean, it's a plot that, as you immediately pointed out, is especially crucial because of its topical and timely relevance for this moment that we're in at this exact moment in time, which, you know, dumb luck on that one. But, uh, you know, in all the worst ways, unfortunate, uh, unfortunate silver lining for that. Um, I did also like Ori Alby in this as, uh, as Avraham, Avraham Stern. I think he's Abraham or Avraham Stern. Because uh, a lot of this is the subtitled as well as English in this quite heavily. Um, but there were uh, really interesting depictions, I have to say, of what the culture was like immediately prior to the formation of Israel. That movement as, you know, as, as Jews started to emigrate into uh, immigrate, emigrate into Palestine, escaping, you know, uh, ex- escaping uh, you know, what they what they'd seen in Germany and everything. Um, but just seeing that depicted on screen actually was quite interesting. Like I was quite fascinated by it. But having said that, I feel like there was a better character driven drama set entirely in that rather than the actual terrorist police procedural that you then get instead. Did you feel that you learned a lot about the situation watching this? Was it really factually correct? I'm not even beginning to say if it's factually correct or not because I'm not that informed. And I have learned, again, because of my unique heritage, to just keep my <laughs> mouth shut on that part of the world. Uh, just, because, just because you will offend someone. You'd be as well-meaning as you want, but you, you, you can't help but offend someone, naturally, because it's a very two-sided uh, situation there. Yeah. Um, like I say, I'm, I'm not the person to comment on So I, the factuality of it, I'm not going to start nitpicking. This is not like the Iron Claw, you know, where there is a one side. <laughs> there is a one side that fits all. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, if you want to go and watch it, uh, you can. Shoshana is in cinemas from today, so uh, you can go and see it whenever you like. Now, we've got two to cover in our next section. We're going to look at Out of Darkness and also American Star, which are both out today. We'll see what Van thinks in just a second. Stay where you are. 
Welcome back to Off Screen. Okay, two movies to look at here. Out of Darkness in a moment, but we're going to start with American Star. So um, this is about uh, an assassin in Ferventura. Yes, yeah. Imagine it, it's Ian McShane of all people as well. I love Ian McShane. Did that man? Yeah, he really is. And. With that god-awful reboot of Hellboy from, like, six years ago, the Neil Marshall one, he also got probably the best opening line to any movie ever, uh, and it's one we can't actually repeat for broadcast reasons because it's it's got swearing in it, But um, which is something we will say about another movie later on. But he is the assassin who, as you you say, uh, takes a job in... Is it Fuerta? Is it Fuerta Ventura in the Canary Islands? Fuerta Ventura, that's how I say it. I I don't know. You're the one that has to start planning for a honeymoon soon, so you look it up, man. (laughs) Where to them, sure. So um, he he goes out there for a job to you know to to clip a guy, to whack a dude, whatever whatever terminology you want to use. He's Ian McShane. He's he's obviously like I've come to take care of business, haven't I? Kind of a voice. You know, I'm doing Statham. I don't know why, Uh, but he goes out there. He lies a few days ahead of his target, and is forced to basically you know hunker down and basically have a holiday. Whilst he waits for his mark to turn up so he can put one in the back of his, or front of his head, whichever bit of his head he's going to shoot him in. While he's there, however, he starts to have a bit of an existential crisis thing going on. Uh, Enters into a a, a tentative relationship with a mysterious local who has something of a a, a kind of a a carefree, almost transitory uh, past, um, as well as becoming strangely enthralled by a local legend of an overturned uh, freighter ship. I think it's or a cruise ship called the American Star. Hence the hence the clever title because it was never going to be Ian about Ian McShane, was it? It'd be a terrible American American Star, Ian McShane. But uh, so it, I've got a clip for you. This this is a trailer clip. Have a listen. This is kind of the tone of the movie. I've been told to stay on the island. I work alone. Think of me as the wind beneath your wings. The reason of her interest in you is that you remind her of her father. What can you do? Rita, he knows the target. You know, the one you're involved with. I'm not involved with anybody. Don't lie to me! Rule number one! Ah! Let's go! I don't think no one! I'll finish this job. I'm just thinking what I know Ian McShane from the most would be, um, oh, what was it when he was the um, the Love guy Joy. who collected antiques? Lovejoy, that's it. I just Joy? think, I'm, yeah, Lovejoy. I'm wondering if it's going to be hard for me to to not think of him as Lovejoy in a movie like this. <laughs> Do you know, you, you say that, and yet I have the exact opposite problem, because there's two kinds of people in this world. There's, two, there's the kind of person that looks at Ian McShane and says, Lovejoy, and there's the other kind of person that thinks of him as, as Winston from the John Wick series, which is <laughs> such an iconic... He's like a figurehead in the centre of the John Wick universe, uh, and, he's, and he's very, very good in that. So good, they gave the character a terrible prequel. Um, but I will say, I was I don't know why I said that set the tone. It doesn't set the tone for the movie at all. The movie's very pensive. The movie's very much sort of... Say, it's all about the existence essential sort of crisis going on within Ian McShane's character and you could hear, I think it's Michael Negatis or Adam Negatis as Ryan, the, the guy who's, who's sort of threatening him in the, in the clip there um, I really liked this I I was I turned it on. I was expecting something like Sexy Beast for some reason. I thought, oh, Hitman, Canary Island. Oh, I know where this is going. Oh, Ian McShane. Oh, yeah. I go on then. Uh, and then actually, it does turn into a, a lot more of a, a quieter, more soulful Hitman drama. 
Like there is there is action in it, but it's it's quick, brutal action. It's quick, efficient action. Right, I mean, it, it's literally a, a it's, it's silence and a bullet through the head and no glamour, no glamour on it. You know, kind of violence. It, it's very much like that. Um, but I did. I was I was very taken in by I think the the very well measured performance from Ian McShane, who could have could really have chewed the scenery a bit on this one, I think, but chooses to play it quite restrained, especially in his relationship with Oscar Coleman. Uh, as sort of a young boy in the the hotel resort where he's staying, I, I thought you know, there's these little moments between them where he's trying to be quite withdrawn and not get involved with this kid, and you can actually see him just fractionally thawing, and you feel every every bead of that ice block inside melting as it goes, and and they are only like tiny beads of moisture coming out of that ice block. And but McShane gets it across. It's, I think it works for that reason. I really liked it. Okay, well, it's called American Star, and if you want to see it, it's out in cinemas from today. You can make your own mind up. Now, out of darkness, I am really looking forward to finding out more about this. Actually, because on paper, the synopsis mm-hmm. is absolutely my kind of movie. So, talk to me about Out of Darkness. Well, first of all, I know it's not your kind of movie because it's subtitled. So, <laughs> ah. Damn it. I mean, obviously, obviously that puts me in the game because I have no issue with the subtitle movie. The Raid is the greatest action movie of all time. I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you got that Netflix account, man. You're sitting on your ass doing nothing with it if you've never seen The Raid. Anyway. I know. Uh, so this is, uh, this is subtitled, in, I think, is it a, I don't know if it's a fiction, completely fictionalized language. I think it might be a fictionalized language called Tolo or something like that. Um, but it is about sort of neon, primitive man you know, ancient man and their, ju- yeah. their journey for survival as they are, as they are set upon by, you know, the demons of the forest, as it were, which are effectively wild animals, but to primitive man, they were seen as demons, you know, in, in this incarnation. You've got this group of, you know, of, of survivalists together, this group of people who have come together in sort of a, a makeshift family unit because, you know, that, that was the times. And, and it, because those were the times, it also comes down to usefulness as well. It also comes down to who will you hand over if, if your life depends on it? Who is the least valuable member of the pack that you can throw in front of the walls to buy you time to run away, so to speak? And it's that kind of a story. Um, it took me a little it me back a little bit to um did you ever see 10,000 BC the Roland Emmerich one for about 2007 2008 was kind of a primitive man subtitled kind of a movie I think I saw the trailer I don't think I actually watched it no but I do know it about it yeah it wasn't hugely popular that one I, I don't think it really made much money I think it might have bombed anyway uh but I remember watching it thinking, actually this is something different I appreciate Roland Emmerich's trying something different um but this took me back to that, but in very much it's sort of that combined with Neil Marshall in a way because it's it's quite raw, it's quite grounded in its in its atmospheric you know horror. Like it it, it goes for gore horror quite a bit. There are animalistic attacks, there are brutal deaths, but at the same time it is it's the drama and the suspense of the survivalism rather than 
the sort of action horror side of it. Do you know what I'm watching the the trailer? It's kind of scrolling across my screen while I'm chatting to you, and with the cinematography in it, certainly I'm getting yeah. the village vibes. Yes, I could see why you'd go there. There's something about the costumes uh, that kind of look like the yeah. things from from the village, the, the villain things from the village. Yeah, I can't remember what those creatures were called, but they were really effective monsters as well as oh, yeah. I love the village. Such an underrated. A great twist village. as well, eh? <laughs> Twist. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it was so bonkers. You kind of love that one. Uh, this does not go for anything quite like that. You know what I mean? This is, this right. is say, a lot more of a. It, say, it, it's a, it's a full blown survival adventure, but it is quite a grounded. Think the Grey at times as well, rather like the Grey with Liam Neeson, where it was Liam Neeson versus the wolves. Imagine that kind of a thing, but like, but with a, a prey style female lead in there as well. There is, it's very much you know the woman in the forest on her own, like forced to make do with the tools and survive. Really interesting. Not going to be everyone's cup of tea. I think the subtitled element and also quite how character driven it gets in its pacing might prove a bit of a barrier. It's not really going to be a popcorn uh, popcorn pleaser, if you follow my pants on that. But I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was really well shot by Andrew Cumming. Uh, the performances in it, I thought, for the, uh, you know, despite the fact they're in this kind of invented language, performances are quite compelling. The performances are quite grisly. I'm trying to find the name of the actor who plays the older older guy in this. Uh, Arno Luning, um, in, in particular. He's uh, he's kind of the, the designated... I don't want to use the B asterisk starred word when I say that, but uh, he's he's kind of that character, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I, I found him. I found him really compelling, in particular. So yeah, check this one. If you're a fan of Neil Marshall movies, I would definitely go and check check out uh, Out of Dark. Sorry, get confused on the title because it's also called The Origin as well. So, uh, Out of Darkness slash The Origin. If you're a Neil Marshall fan in particular, definitely check this out. Well, it's out in cinemas from today, so you can do it this weekend if you fancy. Uh, right, two still to come on off-screen. We are going to be looking at a wolf pack called, I think it's Ernesto? Ernesto, sir. There we go. We'll look at that in a moment. And next, Wicked Little Letters. We'll see what Van thought. Stay there. Welcome back to Off Screen then. Two movies left to go this time round, a wolf pack called Ernesto in a moment. But let's look at the comedy that I, I think it's a comedy, Wicked Little Letters. Mm. From what I've seen on the synopsis, it, it looks like a comedy and actually it looks like it could be quite good. Here's the thing. This is kind of a, 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 a drama comedy. It's a, it's a dramedy through and through, but being sort of a British true story based one, it obviously veers slightly more into the drama area. But it's quite an irreverent uh, take on it because the story is a bit bit silly by today's standards but okay so, so bear with me so new movie from director Thea Sharrick uh, stars Olivia Colman Jesse Buckley Joanna Scanlon Timothy Spall uh, amongst others and uh, this is based on do you know the story of the Littlehampton letters scandal do you know about this at all Fine if you no don't, I know absolutely I'd, nothing I'd heard of it but I'd heard of it as the poison uh, the, the poison pen uh, letters. I think I'd, I, that's how I'd heard of it, and uh, so I, I, I didn't look into it until after I'd seen the film, actually. And it turns out the film's actually quite on the money. So basically, true story from uh, seaside town in Sussex, I think it is, that was in the 1920s uh, under siege from these poison pill, these poison pen trolling letters, like old-fashioned letters through the post. So before you could just send emails or horrific texts or tweets to someone. Someone was sending abusive letters through the post in this small village. And it starts off with one woman, played by um, Olivia Coleman, Edith, 
Edith something, who gets these letters through the post, which seem to use like quite in, that, that uses a combination of really bad language and really colourful fruity language, like calling her a fat beetle and a nincompoop, and then you know alternatively some actual curse words. And this, of course, causes her intense emotional distress. Her Christian father, very very Christian father and domineering father Timothy Small, obviously spearheads you know the police, the local. You know, bend over backwards for him, local Bobbies, because they're all in the Masons together, I think. Um, Bobbies to bend to his will and try and find the culprit. And they, of course, blame the most convenient person around, who's the slightly larger than life, very mouthy Irish immigrant played by Jesse Buckley. Single mum as well, um, with, with a black boyfriend. So, of course, small town seaside village. They're automatically think she's up to no good. And, of course, you know, she's known for being a bit drunk and a bit leery. So they, they immediately put the suspicion on her and try her for this, uh, for this, uh, this campaign, this terrorising campaign, only for evidence to increasingly mount in the hands of the town's only female police officer, um, that, in fact, she's been wrongfully accused. I've got a clip for you. Remember, as I say, this is meant to be kind of funny as well. So I've got a clip for you that should set the tone. The mystery of the obscene little Hampton letters is causing widespread distress across the nation. Edith Swan takes it up the... And she loves it more than Christmas Day. Only words, mother. She sucks ten a week, minimum. Holy heavens. In the end, I think it's just jealousy. Rose Gooding, you are writing these wicked little letters to Edith Swan. Why would I send a letter when I can just say it? I'll get you in the box! You want... (gasps) In the nose, you old beetle! Right. See, I love the sound of this because I'm a Timothy Spall fan and an Olivia Coleman fan. So uh, I do find that I feel Timothy Spall quite often gets typecast. Right. Now, that's the interesting thing because it is a role. Like, oh, OK, this is one of, like one of Spall's three modes. You know, this is where he's found the he's found the sort of the the, 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 the gammon face. He's found the gammon face mode on this one. He's very much one of those characters. Olivia Coleman is in the uh, in the sheepish setting on this one with a bit of a cheek and then you've got Jesse Buckley who's just on the one setting that she has which is J- Jesse Buckley the slightly mouthy rebel character which is what Jesse Buckley's really really good at I mean I, I, I'm I'm yeah say that yeah she's very good like beast that's something incredibly uh, different a lot more of a, a sort of you know cold you know uh, clamorly dramatic performance but this has a very much a sense of cheek through it and if you can picture um Picture something like The King's Speech meets Call the Midwife as a movie. It turns, it turns, it turns. So you got, remember that sort of funny cursing element of, of of The King's Speech where Colin first starts having to do the blah, 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 blah with the swearing uh, bit. And then you've got yeah. kind of that, that very twee, cobbled stone setting of Call the Midwife, for instance, which is, I think, just very much the time period. But I liked this. I say it is it very much suffers from everybody is fulfilling their basic remit kind of a job. I mean, it's just, it feels like Olivia Coleman jogging in place, like, career-wise, but it feels like that for everyone. Like, nobody's career is advancing because of this movie. They're not showing the world anything new. It's just a, hey, I'll just get around with some of my some of my BAFTA mates and we'll do this one together. And it's a perfectly good time. It's nothing revolutionary. I, I, I don't think anyone alive is going to give this more than, say, a three-star rating like no one's coming away saying, oh yeah five stars amazing movie because i don't think it really will for any you know, will that for anyone um but i had fun with it and of course you've got to appreciate the irony as well it's olivia coleman isn't it so 
Olivia Coleman is kind of the goddess of cheeky swearing. You know what I mean? That's that's what she does. Like yeah. one of life's one of life's genuine joys is watching Olivia Coleman either in a line at a red on a red carpet or on stage collecting an award because you know she's going to be a little tipsy and drop some f bombs because that's just what Olivia Coleman does. Hell, our actual screening for this film in Leicester Square, she turned up at beforehand to intro the movie along with Thea Sharrock and Jesse Buckley and the rest of the cast. They actually turned up before the movie and they were in that exact mode. She's like, okay, we've, we've had a couple of G&T. She actually said, we were going on a girls' night out. So we had a couple, we heard this was going as well, but let's pop in. And they did. So you can imagine the same Amazing. Thing. Yeah, one of, one of life's joys is just Olivia Coleman doing that. So when you've then got this movie where it's about this, uh, about this woman and her relationship to swearing, and she's particularly kind of playing it ironically for the casting, you know, you know, ironically enough for the casting and the typecasting bit, having to genuinely struggle with it. There's something quite there. But I really liked the relationship and the friendship dynamic between uh, Jesse Buckley and Olivia Coleman. It was it was quite an interesting d- dynamic. And there's something of like a, there's a five minute run at something like a Banshees of Inner Sharon going on in this. Uh, obviously, the film lands nowhere near to the perfection that was Banshees of Inner Sharon, because for one thing, you ain't got Barry Keogh and you ain't got Squat, son. But I say, I liked it. I came away, you know, chuckle, chuckle, feeling chucklesome. You know, I was in a good place in it. Um, I didn't particularly think about it the following morning after I'd seen it. I saw this like two weeks ago, and I've not really thought about it much since, but I enjoyed it while it was on. Were there some, like, belly-laughing moments in it, though? Because that's how I perceive this kind of movie. They should have a few of those. Oh, absolutely. And do you know what? They nearly all come, actually. The really big, hearty laughs nearly all come from Joanna Scanlon. I love Joanna Scanlon. I mean, any, every Thicker oh. fan loves, loves Joanna Scanlon. Uh, there's a moment in particular where it's, it's, she's, she's obsessed with, like, just having a boiled egg. And it's just vintage. It's vintage verbal smackdown that could only have come from, you know, Joanna Scanlon. Like, it, it could only have been delivered that way by Joanna Scanlon. It's, 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 it's very, done very well. Um, so she's my MVP on this, but I really liked her. Wicked Little Letters uh, is out in cinemas from today, if you want to go and see it and check it out. Uh, we've got one last movie to look at in a moment with Van, and that is a wolf pack called Ernesto. We'll see what that's all about in just a second. Stay there. Welcome back to Off Screen for one last ride this time round. We are going to now look at a wolf pack called Ernesto, which, from what I can make out, looks like quite a serious kind of movie. A very serious kind of movie would be right, Mr. Ball. Or do I have to start calling you Mr. Bolton yet? Yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out. We'll, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, congrats, by the way. I'm not, I'm not properly congratulating on your, your engagement, by the way. Um, so uh, this is a new documentary uh, that follows... Not so much the Mexican cartels, but the lives of young men and women as they are drawn into Mexico, as, as they have been drawn into uh, the cartels. Now, there is something, despite the serious subject, because we're talking about like people that are like late, late teens and early 20s, who are still very young and following them, a handful of them, through their lives of as they show you their day-to-day, but also explain their story, explain how they were drawn into this world, how they how it works, how it functions, and how, of course, they navigate their way through it. But there is something of a novelty uh, in, in terms of how the film is made applied on top of that. See, the film is largely made using a special apparatus that 
enables the filmmakers to have basically strapped an iPhone onto the backs of their subjects. So we get a sort of over-the-shoulder view, but it's it's kind of the camera is... You, a person's head is filling the lower middle sixth of the screen, for instance, if you, if you follow what I mean. That the camera holds okay. behind and above their head. So it's literally looking, peering from over their head, effectively, as they navigate this world. This also has the advantage of providing them with anonymity to an extent as well, because you, you never see these people in the face. But you, you follow them literally through their world. You literally follow them, if you, if you, get, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so you've got this unique filming style as well, but, you, but it's then, of course, not to distract from the story. The stories are really something. There's the name Ernesto in the title, a wolf pack called Ernesto, is chosen in such a way that because Ernesto is the term used for all of the young men who are depicted. It's a collective name for this group of young men that the story has chosen to, to chronicle. And the stories that we, we receive of these young men, it's fascinating how there are overlaps. It's fascinating the manner in which they all share certain characteristics. They all Their stories all share certain moments and, and certain chance encounters and certain meetings. But we are then also told of the rigors and routine of how to induct someone into this world, to have them performing killings for you on the street, how to have them selling your your drugs on the street. And we are literally told, like, you know, this uh, one, this, the one pusher, effectively, uh, tells us at one stage, you know, how you, you meet a young kid and you, you basically start becoming, you befriend them, you start playing video games with them. And you just you just play the long game. You do this for a year or two, and then you just start dangling. You dangle your cash here and there in front of them, and you, then you just get them to just just pop down the corner for me and sell that sell that bag. I'll give you half the money. You can keep half the money, kind of a thing. And and how the the kids themselves genuinely don't question. They think they're selling candy. Like they literally think that they're selling candy wow. on the street corner. And this leads all the way up to you know full blown teenagers committing murders in the name of effectively organized crime. Uh, but also, and that's the part that really fascinated me, was, for instance, the source of the arms that they obtain, the source of, of the weapons that they actually get, is nine times out of ten, um, weaponry that has been seized by the police, and then, before even making it to the station, being just sold off on the street, corruptly to wow. use, to make a bug. We, we, meet a, we meet a woman who literally rents guns, will rent, you know, a gun for so much for one hour, but a discount for four hours, or a discount for 24 hours, who's literally renting handguns on the street. So, you know, even if they're caught, for instance, you, you can follow the ballistics on a murder. Wouldn't matter, because the gun will have passed through so many sets of hands and so many other killings. And meanwhile, there's no way to connect them. You know, it's a fascinating story. Like you say, it's, it's you know, not lighthearted in any way. It's a really dark, down and dour tale, but it's very street-level you know, Mexican underworld. Well, not even, not even underworld. That's kind of the thing. It's, it's cold light of day. You know, Mexican street level violence. But it's about the reality of it. It's about how how easy it is to be drawn into that for these kids, and also how you know, even peripheral to them, the men and women of their lives, how they suffer through it sort of secondhand as well. I absolutely uh, am drawn in by you just talking about this. Like, I would love to get into this. 
the thing is that I'm wondering, which is a positive, is this very unique filming technique with, like you say at the start, with the camera over the head exactly, mm-hmm. does that, I feel like that would pull you in a lot more than if it was filmed in an ordinary way. It does, it does very much. I was fascinated to find out that it was iPhones. I sat there thinking to myself, why didn't you just use GoPros or mini cams? Because they're a lot smaller and easier. But I know that's neither here nor there. Weirdly, actually, it's worth pointing out that for the first like 20 minutes of the movie, I didn't notice it. Didn't notice the gimmick. I just, I, I didn't question it. I was, I was just drawn into the story and I was taken by it. I was taken along by that story to the extent where I, you know, even, even I, who are meant to be dissecting the frame as I go, that's the job. Um, even I was just, I just completely oblivious to it. I was just sucked into this story of these people and this world, which obviously I would know nothing about. Obviously, you, you would know, none of us know anything about this because it's not our world. But the level of immersion you get into it, it's, it's fascinating. It's 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 the case. It's it's almost like a you know a, a thirty centimeter removed VR experience, as in you are thirty centimeters behind the set of eyes you would otherwise be viewing through if you were doing like an Apple Vision Pro version or something like that. No, I love the sound of this. Um, definitely right up my street. A wolf pack called Ernesto in cinemas from today. If you want to go and see it, uh, right before we look at the movies that we've got coming up next week, let's quickly choose a movie of the week. Van, which one are you going to go for? I'm guessing. I think you're going to go for a wolf pack called Ernesto. I think I am as well, to be fair. I mean, in terms of the yeah. the, the, the crowd pleaser this week, and if you, if you want a movie to see at the multiplex this weekend, obviously I think it's going to wind up being Wicked Little Letters. I think because it's got some laughs and it's got some high. It's just not particularly revelatory. It's nothing particularly inventive or new. But if you are looking for something quite inventive and new and really compelling, a wolf pack called Ernesto, definitely. Well, there you go. And you can choose to watch that this weekend in cinemas from today. Now, coming up next week then, um, so Combat Wombat. <laughs> I know. It's just a fun title to say that one, isn't it? It is. I, it is. Yeah, it never gets it never gets it never gets less than fun saying combat wombat out loud. Does it? It's a very fun title. Like hats off to them. I, I mean, I, I I don't remember. I don't think I've seen the first one. It looks absolutely terrible. But you know what? Hats off to them. They got a great title. Sometimes that's all you need. This, as it happens, is not combat wombat i have just forgotten to complete the rest of the title so combat wombat was a few years ago this is actually the sequel combat wombat to combat wombat back to back or i think we get it under the title combat wombat double trouble uh which is the sequel in which the character gets a, a sidekick now it is about, it is about sort of animal animal superheroes so a superhero with like anthropomorphic animals imagine like the zootropolis version of a superhero but made by like a french animation house and it's uh he has to take on a bad guy who's like an evil tech genius with designs on exploiting the multiverse so even third party studio animation is getting in on this multiverse game now so uh, I don't know if there's any, mm. uh, any particular... I think David Wenham and Ed Oxenbold are in it, so... Eh? I mean, this one's not French, is it? I think it's actually Australian, now that I say it out loud. I'm looking at the casting thinking, Wombat, it would make sense if that was Australian. rather than It absolutely would. It, it would, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah. Sorry, I just looked, I just looked right, closer I just, and assumed I'd already confirmed this was French. But yeah, we'll find out, because I'm going to have to review it either way. Uh, might, I'll might send a copy, to, send a screener link to my nephew and see if he'll watch it and, and tell me. I'll ask Lisa's daughter, she wants to watch it and see what, see what they make of it. You can get some actual kids' reviews on this one. We'll have to see what Albert thinks of it as well. We'll see what Albert and Edie would think of the thing. We'll get them to watch it. We'll, we'll get some kids' opinions on this one, because it looks like it's skewing really young. 
So I think for the age of the children in our lives, that might be ideal. I think we should get them in on the action uh, for that one. Uh, we have Absolutely. also got next week um, Theatre of Violence, which is, uh, this is a, a documentary about, uh, it's an interview, effectively, with a former child soldier from, uh, you know, Joseph Comey, uh, Joseph Kony, the uh, Ugandan general from the, the late 80s, early 90s. You know, yes. You remember Kony? Remember when you couldn't move for viral talk of Kony, like, 10 years ago? Yeah, um, so 30 years on, this is an interview piece that follows the story of one of the child soldiers now, oh. now an, an adult man like pushing 40s. It'd be like, you know, my age now. Um, we have also got Red Island, which is coming of age story about a young French boy growing up in, I think, Madagascar. So that could be interesting. I, I've never seen Have I seen a live action movie set in Madagascar? I, I don't know. Um, we have got Lisa Frankenstein. Next week, new movie. Uh, this is directed by Robin Williams' daughter, Zelda Williams. Daughter wow. Of the late of the late yeah, I know. And written by Diablo Cody, who, of course, gave us Jennifer's body and uh, Juno. And this movie kind of looks in keeping with Jennifer's body. It's like a, a sort of surrealist horror, like a, a dark, gothy, surrealist horror. Like, it's got that Jennifer's body kind of edge to it. Catherine Newton's a young girl, who, a teenage girl who, fall, who falls for a dead guy, like a, a dead author, I think, or something like that, and lightning literally causes him to rise from the grave. So it's a zombie boyfriend story. I don't know if it will come close to matching the delights of 1994's seminal My Boyfriend's Back, but uh, we shall see. You can tell I have a sister a certain number of years. You're going to know. But last, but certainly by no means least, and uh, you, you know I was all upon this uh, just last night yeah. at, the, at the industry premiere. Uh, Dune Part 2 is upon us and i'm gonna tell you i'm I'm gonna tell you straight off the bat it's fantastic and i cannot wait to talk to you about it amazing okay well there's a teaser for next week's show then absolutely june part two we'll see what you thought next week uh that is of course all we have time for this week on off screen on put my teeth back in that is of course all we have time for this week on off screen we shall return next week until then i've been adam ball with false teeth i've been van connor with ah not quite as white a teeth as i'd like and we shall return (laughs) 